Hello and welcome back to Fight With Honor. I'm your host, Honor Valencia, and today's show is brought to you by SoRite. That's P-S-O-R-I-T-E.com. It's a versatile full body massage tool. Helps increase mobility, uh, release pressure, uh, helps you get into harder reach places. I actually use it almost every night before I go to bed, and I try to use it as much as possible um, before I work out and after, it's it's helped me a lot, especially on my shoulder. It's really helped me get a lot more mobility um, and a lot more comfort in my lower back. They ship around the world. You can use discount code HONOR20 for 20% off. So check them out on their website or on Instagram at PSO underscore R-I-T-E. And we're also brought to you by DS Sunglasses. That's D-I-A-S dash sunglasses.com or on Instagram at D-I-A-S sunglasses. That's all one word. Uh, They have really high quality glasses at a really affordable price. I have a couple pair that I wear all the time. Um, You can use discount code HONOR25 for 25% off. And that's our sponsors for today's show. And today I'm pleased to bring you my conversation with Jim the Rookie Morris. If you've seen the Disney movie called The Rookie, then you know who I'm talking about. Um, the, the Rookie is a movie about Jim Morris and his comeback into the major leagues. And that was 18 years ago, and now he has a book coming out. I believe it's uh, June 23rd, which I had a chance to read before I interviewed him. And a great book. I highly recommend it. Uh, so we talk about, you know, the 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 movie and things like that but what also has happened since the movie and we get into his book and uh, some of the new topics that he talks about it's a great conversation i really enjoyed talking to him there was a storm in his area so there's times where he's talking uh, maybe something kind of serious and i kind of you know grin or, or laugh or something because there was a delay in what we were talking about so just a few times that happens um they were having a pretty bad storm where he lived, so that's why. Um, anyways, so here we go. Here's Jim, the rookie Morris. How's everything going? It's good, man. We've had some thunderstorms the last couple of days that have kind of blown in, and my friends called from 60 miles down the road, and they're getting a new roof. <laughs> <laughs> even even if they didn't want one just quite yet, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, yes, sir. And also, and also, I appreciate uh, you sending me a copy of your book. I finished reading it yesterday, and uh, man, that I, I love that book. That was an amazing, amazing book. Thank you. I appreciate that. That is how how long did it take you to to complete writing to finish writing that? <laughs> um, twenty years. Twenty years. It's been a deal where, where when I spoke, people are like, oh, the movie's great and the story's awesome, but what has happened since then? Yes. And since then, a lot has happened, and you, you know as well as I do, okay, chapter 10 was what we were waiting for. Yeah. as you know, I watched the movie The Rookie. I watched that uh, probably... I think it was like the middle of April with my family. You know, my 10-year-old son started playing baseball, so we were looking up a lot of baseball movies. And yeah. after the movie was over, that's exactly what we thought. Is like, so what's he doing now? Like, what's happened? This movie was 18 years ago, so what's been going on? So I started researching it, 
and couldn't really find much, you know, of what was going on. So that's when I reached out and uh, thought I'd, I'd love to have you on my podcast. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So, so for those uh, that haven't seen the movie, you know, just uh, kind of in a nutshell, it would, um, how, would you, how would you kind of make a short version of what the movie's about? Short version is I pushed a group of kids who nobody believed in, and they pushed their coach back, and we became better as a team because my concept of team may be a little different than others. It's not just the people on the field. It's the people on the bench. It's the coaches, the scorekeepers the families who come to support us, our school, our city, we represent a whole lot more than ourselves and we're going to uphold that. And so honor, integrity, yeah. character. And so when I pushed them, they pushed back. And this is all honor in a, in a time when at 28, I had a surgery in which the doctor said, you'll never ever pitch again. And I know yes. you read the book and you see that. Yes. And I, I threw like 88 when I was young and I was supposed to be talented. And then I come back throwing 98 to 102, and everybody wants to know, oh, well, how did that happen? And I go, you yeah. want the secular answer or you want the real answer? And most of the time, we want the real answer. And yes. I'm like, because I wasn't ready when I was 19, and God knew that. If I would have got that when I was 19, I wouldn't have had to work for it. I wouldn't have had to sweat. I wouldn't have had to keep trying and get up and dust myself off and get after it again. It was only after so many failures and then getting up and repeating and trying a different avenue and finding a lot of things I didn't even know were dreams that became dreams like teaching kids yeah. and working with kids and teaching them the game and being on the other side of being a player, I became a coach. And so we made a bet. If you guys do something that nobody thinks you can do, I'll do something nobody thinks I can do. And they lived up to their end of the bargain. I went to a tryout, and I was embarrassed, honestly. I pull up at Howard Payne University in Brownwood, Texas, by far the oldest person there other than a scout. And <laughs> I was going to say, watching, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm watching all these kids gather cars, tall, thin, athletic-looking, brand-new bodies, brand-new gear. I look down at my gut, hang over the elastic band of my softball pants, which is not the picture painted in the movie. Thank you, Dennis. <laughs> Yeah, and I was going to say, like, Dennis, Dennis Quaid yeah. didn't quite have that gut. <laughs> no. I go, I said, what have I done? And see, I've been teaching my, my kids about their great-grandparents because they did so much for me as I grew up. At a time when the church was very religious and rigid, they yes. showed grace and compassion like Christ, and they gave back all the time. Thanksgiving dinners, Christmas presents, paying a bill for somebody, and then doing it anonymously and not wanting anybody to know they had done it. And so they taught me from 15 to 18 how to be. Well, you go through your late teens and your early 20s and you know everything and that kind of goes by the wayside, but that foundation is set. And so by the time I come back and I failed through minor leagues the first time, I go back to school, get my degree, and then I get this group of kids eventually while I'm coaching in the state of Texas. And they're like, coach, people drive through here on their way to somewhere else. And it hit me immediately. I'm like, when I was 19 in my little red sports car, I drove to my first spring training through Big Lake, Texas. And I thought, who would live here? And see, I have this. I tell, I tell people I'm God's rebel, right? And I'm like, <laughs> he has a sense of humor because he goes, you're going to live there. That's where you're yeah. going to live. <laughs> I'm like, oh, dude. 
So 15 years later, I end up in Big Lake, Texas, and I had this group of kids, and they were phenomenal. And if you keep telling somebody that they're good, that they're good, that they're good, and then you help them. And my grandfather taught me, if you're going to talk the talk, you better be willing to walk the walk. Don't ask anybody to do anything you wouldn't do yourself. Don't ask somebody else to get dirty when you're standing there clean as you can be watching them work. And so we would work out together in the weight room, on the field. We would run together. We even threw grass seed out a couple of times because the deer ate my grass seed. You saw that in the movie. And yeah. they helped me do everything with the field. I brought dirt in from Oklahoma. We redid our whole field because I wanted them to be proud of what people called their home. And so they didn't want anybody coming on what they had built and beating them there. And so I go to the tryout. The scout's 70 years old. Nobody will even warm up with me. This kid in front of me signs up. He walks off, gas away. The scout looks at me and he goes, how many kids you bring to tryout? And I looked down at my kids who are eight, four, and one. I said, well, I, I brought three. He said, no, two to try out. I said, I brought me, and let me explain. And I explained the whole deal to him. I said, look, I made a promise. And my grandfather said, I'm only as good as my word, and I'm doing this. Either you're going to let me throw, or I got to find somebody else, and they're going to let me throw, but I'm throwing. It's going to be embarrassing. It'll be yeah. humiliating. And the whole deal, Honor, is at the beginning of the season, when we made the bet the kids couldn't hit me. By the end of the season, when we're playing for a district championship, I cannot get these kids out. And so I go to this tryout, and I'm like, I can't even get 16-, 17-year-old kids out. This is going to be so bad. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to let you throw last. I threw last, and I throw the first pitch. It's a strike. I'm 35. I'm fat. I'm like, that's a good pitch. That's a good one. He shakes his radar gun. And I'm like, ah, I don't even register on the radar gun. <laughs> this is embarrassing. <laughs> and all the young guys threw like 20 pitches. And when I get up to 60, I'm like, they're making fun of the fat old guy. And that guy is me. Yeah. Yep. Everybody else had put all their stuff in the cars. It was just me and the catcher and the scouts. And he looked at this one kid and he said, go get your bat and get in the box. And this 20-year-old kid looks at the scout and he goes, you want me to get in there with that? And then it kind of hit me and I'm like, oh, maybe it's not so bad. I get done. My one-year-old's crying. I go to put him in the car. And gas away the scout meets me in my car and he goes, I remember you. 15 years ago at Ranger Junior College, you were a football star. Everybody wanted to make a picture out of it. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, I don't know what you've done in your time off aside from eat, but the first pitch you threw <laughs> without warming up was 94. Everything after that went up to 98. And I'm stunned. Wow. You know, if somebody comes up, man, woman, kid, it doesn't matter. And they go, you're throwing 98. There is a happy dance going on up here. Yeah. The second thing that hit me was I have been throwing 98 miles an hour at high school kids. <laughs> I'm getting sued is what I'm getting uh, yeah, yeah, that you know that uh, that must have played a big part in their ability to hit once they were uh, facing regular high school kids. It was amazing, and the kid who beat us on the second round of playoffs was throwing lollipops up there, and my kids were way too out in front, and we couldn't adjust. And it was because oh, I threw okay. hard at them all the time. 
Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So let's uh, let's go back a little bit about you know your upbringing. Upbringing. You were uh, born in San Diego. Your father was in the Navy. You moved around a lot. Um, how many how many cities do you think you lived in from from birth to the time you graduated high school? <sighs> By the time I got to high school, I believe in ninth grade in Brownwood, that became the thirtieth school I'd been to. 30th school. Yeah, constantly the new kid, constantly picked on. At this point, I'm like six foot and 130 pounds. And so you get picked on. Freshman year? Yeah. Wow. It was the only thing I had going for me was baseball at that time and then football. And then people found out I could run and then we ran track. And they're like, hey, he's a pretty good athlete. We're going to leave him alone. And yeah. But that move was the best thing that ever happened to me. I watched my parents for the first part of my life throw, hit, and curse each other and do things you promise never, ever to do when you walk down the aisle of a church. Yeah. And I'm seeing this firsthand. I'm part of it. My dad's beating me. And he's verbally telling me, you'll never make it with all these F words here and there. And you're sorry. You don't mean anything. He held my brother in his arms, my little brother, and he looked down at me, he goes, this is the one we wanted. Uh, I remember I remember reading that in the book, and I just, I had to put it down. And I woke my wife up, and I was like, could you imagine, you know, hearing this? And uh, she, was, she was still half asleep, and she was like, what? And I, I just read this part in the book, and we couldn't sleep after that. We were just, like, just sitting there thinking, like, what would that do? to a child to hear that. Yeah, it, it's, it's terrible. I look at it now, I'm 56 years old. And you know, yeah. I look your list of questions. I didn't read them real tightly because I like to answer stuff off the cuff because sometimes, a lot yeah. of times, God, God gives me better answers just shooting out quickly. And, but I look back at that and people go, well, how did you come through all that? And I think that God was with me the whole time. And I just yeah. had a guardian angel looking out for me because the one time that he comes in drunk in the middle of the night and my German shepherd, Nick, is on the end of the bed and he's coming into my room probably to beat me and for nothing. And my dog jumps out of the bed and takes him down the stairs by his throat. And wow. the next day, next day, my dog is gone. Yeah, I remember reading that, too. Just. Uh, there were so many parts of your book, you know, that I just, I couldn't believe that there was kids going through this type of stuff. It's amazing. And I've worked with kids long enough to realize every single kid has a story. Yeah. They've got a story to tell. And I just don't want those kids to have to wear that story on their heart because that is, to me, why do you work with kids? Because I, I was one of those kids. I was one of those kids that wasn't supposed to make it. I was supposed to die as soon as I came out of my mom's womb. You've got asthma. Oh, you've got pneumonia. You're not going to make it. And then my father, we'd get transferred. He'd drive across country in a car with the windows rolled up, smoking like a freight train with a kid with severe asthma. Yeah. And it's just thing after thing. He blamed me. He goes, we had to get married because of you. And I'm like, as a kid, you just, you take it all in and you're like, okay, that's my fault too. And you wear that 
like yeah. a heavy coat. And it is, it's How old were you when, when he said that to you? Probably eight. Eight. And I, I don't know if you remember like that exact moment when he said that to you or, or like how long did it take you to, to process that or to, to fully understand what he was saying to you? I don't know that I processed that until a few years ago. I just carried a lot of really? anger. And it was more than anger. Fury is a good word. Yeah. And yeah. everybody goes, well, what made you such a good athlete? I was a good athlete because he told me I couldn't be. And yeah. every, everything I've ever That was done, one of the things I was going to ask you. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I was going to I was going to ask, you know, um I even wrote down like this is such a terrible question to ask, but but I wanted to ask if if you felt that if if your relationship would have been different with your father, if you would have had a great relationship with him, do you still think you would have succeeded in sports as you did? I think with him being a very good athlete when mm. he was young, I think yeah. he could have helped me immensely. But the world was about him. And everything that went wrong yeah. was everybody else's fault. And he blamed everybody. And I, I was the dog he kicked around. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, – there's just so many, you know, parts of that book that, you know, now I have two boys. And I grew up, you know, my, I grew up, my father, he, he drank and stuff, but you know, he never, he never hit us or anything like that. He maybe got a little, uh, loud or obnoxious at some parties and stuff like that, but, but never anything like that. And so I just kind of try to put myself as a father to, to, to how, how could you do that to your children? And I just have no idea. So he must've had a lot of things that he was dealing with as well to make him do all of that. I think he's got a lot of demons. There are, there are several different um, businesses and schools where I've spoken that have people that went to school with my dad when he was young. And they mm. said he was like that from day one. He would play baseball, he would pitch, he would hit somebody just so he could fight. He didn't care. He just wanted to fight. And he fought really? his whole life. That's why we got <clears throat> transferred so much because he couldn't keep his temper under control. Yeah. Also, okay, yeah, I remember reading that in the book. That's why you guys constantly kept being transferred to different places. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. The sad you know, part you... of that, he is probably the smartest person I've ever seen in my life. But he chose to talk about life when other people go out and live it. Yeah, that's uh, – I always wonder what makes people, you know – go this way instead of going that way, especially when they had so much talent. Like you said, he was so smart, but, and he was also very, very athletic. So yeah. just wonder what, what made him go, what made him go this way. And you also mentioned that, um, you know, you, you wondered why your mother didn't step in and save you guys. And how did you, how did you keep that inside of you? How did you live with that and carry that with you? You know, that feeling, uh, towards your mother. I was angry at her for a long time, too, because I'm like, how could you let this guy attack me? And when he would go out to yeah. sea on the sub submarines, I was happy because I would get to breathe a little bit. My mom would be in a better mood. And then he would come home and this dark cloud just came over the house and it was just miserable. And life shouldn't be like that. 
And I, I just want yeah. kids and families to know, you know what, we need to start being nice to each other because this isn't, this isn't about how many people I can step on. This is about who I can lift up. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, it's, it's kind of sad. It seems like, uh, as we're going on in time, there seems to be, I, I don't know if it's actually more uh, child abuse going on or anything, or it's just now because of social media, it's posted a lot more and we're made more aware of it. Um, but man, it's just constantly seeing all these negative things on, on Instagram or Facebook, whatever uh, social media I'm using. And sometimes I just sit back and wonder, has it always been this bad? Is it getting worse? Or is it, like I said, just because now people are able to post about it? I think... Uh, social media has had a big surge and bringing it out. But I think overall, as a planet, as everybody on this planet, I think that back in the day, there were fewer people. It was still, still the same percentage of bad people. I think it's the same way today. There's still the same percentage. There's just more of us. And so it seems like it's more prevalent. Yeah, that's but, true. Yeah, that makes sense. How How long did it take... For you to get all of that negativity and all of those, you know, the, the bad things that he said to you to, to get that out of your mind and to kind of release that. I have a group of ladies at my church. I call them my girls. And you read that. And <laughs> yeah. I, call, I, I call them my girls because they're like 50 to 90 and they don't want me to call them ma'am and they don't want me to call them ladies. They're my girls. <laughs> and they pray for me constantly. And there's been times when I've been in church minding my own business and one of them will come grab me and take me to a room in the back of the church. There's 20 ladies there and they start praying for me and they're like, you need to get something off your chest. And so I've had to forgive my father. I forgave my mom a long time ago. She was just part of an equation that she couldn't get out of. Back in the day, you didn't walk away from that. It didn't happen. Yeah. And you just dealt with it. And she dealt with it poorly. She knows she dealt with it poorly. And she knows she should have left, but she didn't have the strength. Yeah. But I've had to forgive my father. And they told me I will have to keep forgiving my father. So it took me until I was 50 to go. I forgive you. Not so we can have a relationship. Not so we can be buddies. But so I can move on. I forgive you for everything yeah. you've done. and Everything I've ever thought about you. It's time for me to move on. I am very happy that you are part of what brought me into this world. And now it's time for me to go out and do my part. And, you know, he died a few years ago. And before that, my grandmother died at 98. And the last time I talked to my dad, I went up to him in the church at my grandmother's funeral. I put my arm on his back and I said, I am so sorry. And he looked up at me and he said, don't ever effing talk to me again. In the middle of wow. church. And I thought, wow. you still <clears throat> still carry so many demons. So many demons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it was that because of the, the movie? Or how, did you have other falling outs with him that, that made him react that way? Or You know, in the movie, he shows up at the ball game. That happened. And yeah. I gave him the ball. And <clears throat> I tried to repair... I tried to repair this thing from my side, this relationship. Mm. And I went above and beyond and it just never worked out. He never apologized. 
The only thing he ever said to me is it's not as bad as you think it was. And I'm like, how can you tell me what I went through and it's not as bad as I think it was? That's my perception of what went on. That's what happened to me. I know what happened to me. I know you beat me. I know you cursed me. I I know you said things to me you should never say to your son. When you're supposed to be lifting me up, you're stamping me down and you're holding me back. That was the relationship and that was... Nothing even brought that on. I just went up to express my condolences and he just lashed out. And I thought, God is telling me right now to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that's, that's what we got to do. You know, you, you said your piece and uh, that's all you can do. Um, How, how has the way you were raised, how has that influenced or affected you as a parent? As a parent, I've learned how not to do things. Yeah, I've learned I don't want to beat my kids. I don't want to tell them they're worthless. I don't want to tell them they can't achieve their dreams. I want them to go out. I want to reach for the stars, man. There are so many things you can do and you can go chase anything you want to go do it. And I've got five kids. They're all chasing their dreams. They're all out of the house. Nobody's in jail. Everybody's successful. And we my wife and I, Shauna, we were very blessed because our kids have been fantastic. Her two and my three, we've mixed them together. And we are one family. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You know, a lot of times people fall into that same trap of the way they were raised. They continue that. Um, but it's, it's great when people are able to see that and say, this is not what I want for my kids and able to, to turn that around for their own family. Yeah. When I was married to my ex-wife and she told me she was pregnant. We had made a deal while we were dating to never have kids because I was afraid I would be like him. And then oh, from really? The moment, wow. And from the moment they put Hunter in my arms, all I could do was cry and think, who could ever touch a kid? Yeah. Who could touch God's property? This is a child of God. Why yeah. would you hit them and curse them? And oh, I, I just melted. And... Being a parent is something I didn't want to do, and God made me do it five times, and so I guess he thinks I was pretty good at it. I, I wanted to ask, because of the relationship with your father, to have somebody like Brian Cox to play your father in the movie, how, how, how was that to watch such an amazing actor portray your father in the movie? Do you, do you want the real answer? The real answer. I walked in the night they were given, Dennis was given Brian Cox the ball, my dad. Yeah. And when he got done with that scene, he was done with the movie. And as he walked off, everybody gave him a standing ovation. And I'm like, who is that? (laughs) And then I go home and he's in every single movie I watch. And I'm like, oh my God, I am stupid. And Amazing actor and just fantastic. And yes, he did. He did a great job of expressing that there were a lot of difficulties without going into detail. And for a Disney movie, that was pretty good. Yeah. 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 That's one thing when I was watching the movie, you know, it doesn't probably it was probably because it was a Disney movie. They didn't get too much into like the abuse and things like that. But just from watching him in the movie. You know, I was thinking, man, it had to be worse than what they're actually showing. And then when I read your book, I was like, yeah, 
Well, we had a choice. Dennis and I had a choice. Do you want to do a G-rated movie or do you want to use mm -hmm. our sister company and do more? And we were like, he was going through a divorce. I was going through a divorce. We both have kids. And I'm like, mm. this is a movie about kids. It's not a movie about marriage. It's not a movie yeah. about difficulties or getting beat. This is a movie about chasing your dreams and getting a second chance for kids and for older people. It's about getting back up and getting after it and realizing something. And then the moment you get it, it is so much more than anything you could have dreamed to begin with. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, the way the movie was was produced and everything, it was just an amazing, amazing movie. And it did just that. You know, it highlighted the kids and how they had no hope and how you had pretty much given up on on playing baseball. It was just a great combination of everything. That was an amazing movie. It was pretty good when it came out. Before it came out, uh, Disney asked Shauna and me to go down to Burbank and watch the movie. And so we sit there. And mm. at that time, the movie is three and a half hours. It's in black and white. There's no <laughs> music. And there's sound gaffs. And we're, we get done and they look at us and we're like, what do you think? And I'm like, okay. And then two weeks later, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, introducing the movie to the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in this big coliseum. Yeah. And I'm supposed to talk after they watch the movie. And so I sit there and I watch this movie and honor, I had to stop crying before I could go up and talk. I was blown away. Yeah. 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 How, how long, uh, how long did it take you to recover from that before you could get up and talk? After you watched it, took me about five minutes to get my composure back because yeah, I was there with the filming process, and but we filmed it from the end to the beginning, and then Sean and I watched it, and it wasn't done yet. And then a few weeks later, I'm watching it in Nashville, and to me, it was perfect. They did a great yeah. job. Yeah. So they filmed from the end to the beginning. Is that normal for, for movies or was that just specific to they, your movie? They did that. They did that for the high school field so they could have it clean and oh. cut and everything. And then as they ran on it and filmed on it and put all their equipment on it, it got older and worse and they destroyed it. Yeah. And then it was, yeah. then you go back to the beginning. They think of everything, don't they? Man, there are 200 people on a movie set doing things I never <laughs> even thought was a job. Oh man, yeah that uh, that makes sense after you uh, you explained that. But at first I was like, how how would that even make sense to film it backwards? But yeah, and from the filming of the movie, how do you feel that affected your your marriage at that time, or even you know shortly after? Here's the deal: I got the dream that I'd wanted since I was five years old. I got to go to the big leagues. Yeah. I got to play on the big stage. At the same time, I have a reporter come up to me in the clubhouse and he goes, well, I want to do a 60-minute expose on you and your story, but I have to ask you about the affair. And I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? He goes, the affair. And I said, man, I have been coaching. I drove an hour each way to work every day. There and home. I work with my kids. I got home. I tried out. 
I went to baseball. They've been killing me to get back in shape. I've lost all this weight. I haven't had time to breathe. He goes, I wasn't talking about you. And so while you're going through the best part of your life, the personal side of it is horrible. Yeah. And so you're going through the worst of times and the best of times. But I'll tell you what, that marriage never should have happened. I thought I could fix her. She thought she could fix me. Everybody on both sides of our families were going, you guys don't need to get married. And when you're young and dumb, you're like, we're going to make this work. And it didn't. I've got great kids out of it. I'm excited about my kids. I love my kids dearly. They talk to me all the time. But it shouldn't have taken place. And then for the second marriage with Shauna, it was a blind date in which I thought, I'm not ever going to date a woman again. This is not happening. And she was like, I don't ever want to go on a date. I'm too busy. And then we get married. And this November, it'll be 18 years. And it is the best thing. How many many years? It'll be 18 in November. 18 years. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations on that. Thank you. We raised five yeah, kids. It's, uh, and it's just, it's been a huge blessing because she has faith. I have faith and our faith has grown stronger together because when you surround yourself with people like you, it makes you want to be a better person. And I want to yeah. be a better person. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I think that's something we should all strive to be. Um, but yeah, I think that makes a big difference when you, when you both are focused on the same thing and you have the same goals of, being better you help each other to improve and it also helps to have somebody there to call you out when you're not being your best because you know sometimes it's it's easy to not do the right thing or you know of of course i'm not saying like we're gonna go do something really bad but it's just some some simple little things and it's nice to have somebody there to kind of kind of call you out on it and say well do you think that's the best way to handle that situation okay maybe you're right yeah road rage anything like that (laughs) be nice be calm smile Always smile, yep. Oh, it's funny. And how how hard was it if 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 this was an issue at all to not get caught up into that Hollywood life during the filming and the premieres and all the traveling? Because you know you guys got to use the private jets and all that stuff. Well, I'll tell you this: getting to fly around on a Disney jet, yeah, and have a private cook on the plane who cooked anything we wanted whenever we wanted was amazing. Riding in a plane with Dennis, a star who had been in over 50 movies at that time. That was awesome. But here's the deal. Dennis and I are friends. You read the book, seen the forward. He's endorsing it. We're still friends. We still communicate. We've had a big impact on each other. I went to his mom's funeral last fall. Other than that, there are people in Hollywood. I like Texas. Yeah. You know what? Give me my people and you guys go do what you're going to do because you you live in a different world. And I didn't understand that completely until we were having parties for everybody who endorsed the movie. And so we're in Vegas and Russell Athletics is putting on this big event and there are 500 people in this room made for about a hundred people and we couldn't breathe. And Dennis comes over to me and he tugs me on the arm and he goes, let's get out of here, man. I got to get out. And so we go out into the casino 
And we sit down at this blackjack table. And he's playing a few hands. We're drinking a water. And there is nobody in the casino. Nobody. And so we're talking because we've been hanging out for four years. I look up and there's 500 people around us, literally. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're Dennis Quaid. And so people treat them and they put them up on this pedestal. And sometimes yeah. that's hard, hard to keep your humble when when you're being treated and given everything you could possibly want. Yeah, you know, I think uh, it's hard for us to to understand what especially like A-list actors or, or professional athletes that are at the top, what they go through and what, what their life is like. Um, they, they can't even go to the grocery stores. Like I just remember reading about Michael Jordan. He would go, I think it was something like he would go shopping after it closed. He had a special agreement with the supermarket. They would let him in. He would do his grocery shopping and then go home because he couldn't, couldn't go anywhere. You can't imagine that. I go to the grocery store and I see and everybody's <laughs> looking at me like I've poisoned everybody now. Yeah, especially now right you can't sneeze anywhere yeah uh, that's funny <laughs> and back to to the major leagues your last pitch after you let that last pitch go walked off the field what did that feel like for you after everything you'd been through to get back and and you know i think the last pitch for me i think it could have been better but i think mm. that god God had a plan for me and he wanted to show me a snippet of what could have been had I done things yeah. the way he wanted me to do things, but I was young and stupid and I didn't want to do it that way. Yeah. And then when I came back with the Dodgers in 2001, literally in five days, I'm in LA throwing at Chavez Ravine. I'm throwing a hundred. I'm ready to go. I drive through Texas on the way to Vero beach when the Dodgers were still there. In five days, I can't judge the ball. I can't hardly throw the wow. ball. We're playing pepper, and I'm stumbling over my own feet. I take batting practice because we're in the National League now, and I swing at a ball, and it hits my fingers, and I'm like, what is going on? And Man. at that same time, Hunter calls me and says, Dad, when are you coming home? And so I've got all this, and God – talks to us it's up it's up to us to listen yes and not every not everything is go do this and go do that and this is what you need to do and this is the right way it's in a whisper and if we're yeah. too loud ourselves we don't hear that whisper i got that and when i didn't get the baseball part of it he had my son call me and ask yeah. for me to come home and that's what i did and I went home and I got my kids and we go to the movie set and my kids meet Dennis. And I think they're going to be all excited because he was in parent trap and they're like, where's the food? I'm like, oh, oh great. It's <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah. They, uh, they're not too interested in the things sometimes that we think they're going to be excited about. Exactly. But they got their own things that they're looking forward to. Uh, and when you guys were releasing the movie, did, do I remember correctly that it was initially released in Japan? Was that the first place? I think we came, yeah, I think it released and then it came to America and then Disney took me to Japan and they had a filming of it. And so I'm on, 
stage with this little old lady, and I'm sorry, I don't <laughs> want to say old, this person older than me, <laughs> and she is my interpreter. And so people are asking questions from the audience, and it's a huge auditorium. And so yeah. she's answering for me, and they're asking a question. I give an answer, and she looks at me, and she smiles, and she talks for 10 minutes. And I'm like, I did not say all that. She goes, honey, I'm taking care of you. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I've, I've lived in Japan now for 10 years, and there's some things that just don't translate it from English to Japanese or vice versa. And so sometimes yeah. you got to something so simple, you got to explain it in detail in the other language. So it takes so long. I've had the same situation like at my son's school with teachers and they're saying something so long. And no, tell me everything she said. She's like, yeah, that basically that's it. How was your experience in, uh, in Japan? Loved it. It is probably the most pleasant culture I've ever been in in my entire life. Yeah. The people in Japan were unbelievably nice. And the first place I had been where if you tip somebody, it's an insult. And I just, I had yeah. to learn a lot no very tips. quickly. But it was an amazing trip. The culture there and the shrines and everything. The people are the most amazing people I've ever met. And I've been all over the planet now speaking. Yeah. But that was the most fun I've ever had. I want to take my wife back there. My agent w went with me the first time, but I want to take Shauna so we yeah. can go and see more of Japan because I want to meet more people and talk to them. And just, I want to hang out, man, and just sightsee and take yeah. my time and not have to be this person who is put up in front of people and we're going to entertain and... I want maybe to speak to a group and then just take five, six, seven days and just travel around seeing everything. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. That'd be great. If, if, uh, if you want to plan anything like that, let me know and I'll see what I can get together over here too. That's something I was actually thinking about having you come out here would be an amazing thing and having like the, the younger generation, uh, listen to you speak, I think would, would be great for the people here. Here's what hit me today. I'm walking. Right. And so, God talks to me when I'm walking mm. and I, I'm sitting there and I've had a lot of problems with chapter nine. Yeah. And I'm like, how do I bring that out? I am, I am a motivational speaker. And if I talk about my issues, that's going to be bad. And he's going, no, it's not. Mm. He said, that is a problem everywhere on the planet. You need to talk and you need to talk freely because people need to hear what you have to say. They need the word. And so we put it out there. We did the chapter and then we did the faith chapter and added on. And that's going to freak yeah. some people out. But you know what? Yeah. I wasn't ever supposed to throw again. And yeah. I had Parkinson's and you're never going to walk again. It's just going to get worse. And I'm running now. And so everybody's wrong medical field they don't know everything they have their own little box yep. where they think in and they can't think out of that box because that freaks them out and so if they can keep us in that box that's where they want us yeah that was uh i had something similar like that when i you know here in japan like i said i've, I've been battling lupus for 15 years almost lost my battle three different times the last time I was here in japan and i was in the hospital for two months and the doctor he grabbed my shoulder and he said 
you're not going to make it past tonight. I'm sorry. We've done everything we can. And I had my Bible in my hand and I've been reading it all the time. You know, I just grabbed him on the shoulder and I said, don't worry, I'm going to be okay. And we're friends now. And we talk about this all the time. He's like, in my mind, when you said that, I was thinking, I'm sorry, but you're, you're going to die before the sun comes up. Here I am. Exactly. You know, yeah. You know what? You know what that means? That means God still has work for us to do. Yep. Yep. We're not done. Not done. That's, uh, you know, and I can understand where the medical professionals are, are coming from um, because they have to focus on, you know, on what they were taught in school and that's it. So I've had doctors tell me that I'm never going to be able to be back in the gym, you know, be as strong as I was before. And I'm actually in better shape than what than before I, I got lupus. And so, yeah, that was one thing from your book that I really um, could relate to was the doctors telling you you're not going to be able to do this. And also the faith part, because that's what's helped me get through all the things that I've been through as well. So those those two chapters really I was really glad you put in the, the faith aspect into the book. You know, I don't push my faith on people, but yeah. I don't hide either. I don't hide either. And if you ask me a question about it, I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to give you my real answer. I'm not yeah. going to hide behind the hedges. But if I need to, yeah. I can walk the line and I do whatever God wants me to do. And I'll say the things he wants me to say. And for 20 years, that's been my prayer. Every time I walk out on stage, God, just let me reach whoever it is you want me to reach today. And that's how I go about it. Yeah. Oh, it's a great way. It's a great way to live life and, you know, a great perspective to have of how to be able to reach people. Um, so have you thought about trying to make another comeback since you were able to do it the first time? Any chances of uh, getting getting back out there and trying out someone? <laughs> I don't think I could pass a physical. I've got so much metal in me right now, but I wouldn't I wouldn't want to either. I am happy yeah. and content doing what I'm doing. And in the book, I talk about the dream you start chasing may not be the one you end up loving the most. Never in my life did I want to speak in front of groups of people. And I've talked to 10 people in a high rise in Chicago, and I've talked to 25,000 people at Bush Stadium. And it is a blast. It is the most fun I've ever had. And everybody has a story. And I love hearing the stories after I talk of people who have been affected by either my movie or somebody else's movie or they've overcome their own obstacles and they've gone out and done more than even they thought they could do and gone above and beyond and they surprised everybody i love that yeah yeah what's what's something that uh, kind of sticks out the most that's most memorable that somebody said to you hey i watched your movie i read your book and this is what happened to me after i'm at a breakfast in san francisco i'm speaking there I'm signing autographs. I'm taking pictures. This breakfast is for millionaires. These are guys who own businesses in mm. San Francisco. And after everybody gets their picture and everybody gets to shake my hand, which we're not allowed to do anymore because we have social distancing. Yeah. They yeah. all leave. And this lady who is a waitress or table person comes up to me and she's been there the whole time. I've seen her. And you're a dad. You know this. When you become a father, something happens to your heart and God goes, now you're going to have emotions because it's not just about you anymore. And so when I see her, she's walking towards me and she's crying. And so I start crying and <laughs> she walks up and she hugs me and she goes, you helped save me and my kids. 
And I'm like, wow. what are you talking about? And she said, when that movie came out, my husband had just left me. And I took my kids to that movie. And I want you to know that since then, I've gone to medical school. I'm getting my wow. medical degree. And I just bought my kids their first house. And we're chasing our dreams. And I'm just like, Woof, you're doing what yeah. you need to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I couldn't imagine, couldn't imagine the feeling of having somebody, you know, and, and especially in that setting, you're there talking to millionaires and the one yeah. person that came up to you and you were able to touch them the most was the person that was there working. See, we don't know who's listening. Yeah. So we've, got to, we've got to watch ourselves and speak life into everybody because that person who needs life the most may be at the back of the room. And we don't know it until the end, and we may change their life, and we'll never know it, but it changed their life. Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of times, too, is we focus, we, we, we can focus on the wrong people. We can think like, oh, this group is the group that can help me in the future, or this group can help me do this. I'm going to focus all my attention on them. But you, you don't know, who, like you said, who else is there, who else you can reach and touch that's going to go out and do something later in life. So you got to be, you got to be open to, to you know, focusing on everybody that's in the room, not just the group that you think is going to help you in the future. See, I, I, I kind of did what you said at the beginning when I started speaking. Mm. And then yeah. I started having people like that lady talk to me after everybody else had left the big room or wherever we were. And I've yeah. had sound people who work different shows so i've seen them four or five times and when i walk in they remember my name they're excited and they're like can you take a picture of me can you can you call bob it's his birthday and he really wants to say hi because you touched him so much yeah. when he heard you talk yeah and it's the, it's the people at the back of the room sometimes that we need to pay attention to yeah yeah that's uh that's something i've i've also learned um either here in Japan or when I was back in the States is you, you can't just target whoever you think is going to help you. You got to be able to, to reach everybody um, and be open to whoever wants to approach you because you never know what they're going to say or, or how that could benefit you as well. Here, here, here's an analogy. Jesus never went up to the wealthy people thinking he was going to yeah. win everybody over. He went to the people that everybody counted out. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Didn't even didn't even think about that right now. So that's a good point. Oh man, let's uh, let's switch a little bit over to when you went to rehab. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that uh, that chapter of the book was very interesting to hear. Um, you know the process that you not only you but other people there had to go through. Um, Man, when you first, I don't want to give away too much from the book, but when you first got in there and uh, you had to, the preparation before they would let you in, the, the jumping jacks and all that stuff, I, I couldn't believe that's what actually happens. Yeah, I couldn't either. If you want to get sober real quick, be 50 <laughs> years old and have to do naked jumping jacks in front of a bunch of guys who are looking for <laughs> drugs to fall out. And that Christmas, Christmas of 2016, I don't remember. 
I got my pills mixed yeah, up. I, I never abused that. I never abused the pills. I did what the doctors told me, yeah. except I screwed up and mixed them up because they looked alike and added my own concoction of vodka because the pain was so bad that I'm going to add this. Mm -hmm. End up on a plane. We land in Dallas on the way to Florida. And my wife, we're riding the tram over to the next terminal to catch our plane. And I'm sitting on one knee. And I look up at her and I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm taking you to get well. And all I could do is I looked up and I went, well, I'll trust you. And yeah. that is probably the hardest and the best month of my life. Because for the first time in my life, I got to look at me. And mm -hmm. I got to work on me. And I got to reset and re-challenge myself and decide, am I going to take this? Am I going to listen to my neurologist go, this is just Parkinson's, you're just going to get worse and keep trying to drown all my sorrows in alcohol? Or am I going to quit this? And while I'm going through that conversation, the pastor calls me into his office at the rehab center. And he loves baseball. Been to every major league baseball stadium in the country, artifacts from everywhere. He calls me in, he sits me down, and he looks at me, he goes, love the story, love the movie. Why are you here? And I said, well, I lost my faith. I stumbled. Yeah. I listened to everybody telling me I was going to fail, and it overwhelmed me. And so I thought I could hide on my couch while my girls and my wife went to church, and I, so I could sit there and I could drink and feel sorry for myself. And he goes, where was Jesus? And I go, he was right beside me. I know that. He goes, so you had Jesus beside you. I said, yeah, he's my co-pilot. He goes, let me put it this yeah. way. If you had Jesus in your car, why would you not let him be in control? Yeah. And something hit me and a light switch went off. And I was just like, oh. Well, then I'm not giving up. And during those 30 days, every single day, I went to every class I could. I learned everything I could. I sat in my room and read my Bible. God talked to me every night. I would get up before dawn so I could walk before everybody else got up because they smoke like freight trains and I can't stand cigarette smoke from childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm walking, I'm walking around this track every day. And my counselor goes, how many laps you do today? I said, 170. And she goes, why? And I <laughs> said, I said, because I've been to so many places in this world that you see me walking around this track in Florida. I said, but I'm not here. I'm climbing a volcano mm. in, in Hawaii or Bora Bora. I'm in Japan looking at all the shrines. I'm in Switzerland looking at Montreux and the lake there going, this is beautiful. I can be anywhere I want to be. You see me walking here, yeah. but up here, I'm fixing this. And she just looked yeah. at me and she goes, that is probably the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And I went from being mad to helping other patients, to helping staff in two weeks. The first week mad, the second week 
patients, the third week, staff, the fourth week went so slow because I oh, knew really? that God, I knew that God had fixed me and I was ready to go and move on. But I wasn't allowed to go home yet. And so I had to wait the whole time. And so when Shauna picked me up, it was amazing. It was a new me. And I got I got Jim Morris back. Yeah. Well, not only you, you know, uh, everybody around you got Jim Morris back. So it, I'm exactly. sure a lot of people were uh, very happy that you that you uh, took that time to go in for a, for a month. And, and one thing that you mentioned is the cost. You know, you kind of broke down a little bit of the cost for for rehab. Yeah. I was surprised how much it costs and how little is covered by insurance. It's an amazingly terrible thing that we're not yeah. trying to help the people who really want and need help. And I, I understand because there were people there who were there to stay out of jail. But there were honestly mm. people there who wanted to get well and didn't know how to do it and couldn't do it on their own. And mm. I had a guy who was my friend. We went to church every Sunday. We went to church at the center. And he called me every day talking to me about how to fix his problems with his family. And I'm walking him through step by step. He gets his kids back. And he's starting to live well. His daughter becomes a model. Mm -hmm. And then it stops. Mm -hmm. And I don't wow. know what happens. And then two years later, his sister texts me because she has his cell phone. And I've left messages, messages on it. And she said, Smitty mm -hmm. died. And he went wow. home and started drinking again. Wow. Yeah, I remember you talked about him in the book, but at that point, you know, there you didn't know what happened to him. So I was wondering if you ever found out. Oh man, that's uh that's gotta be uh to get that message. And it wasn't a phone call, you just got a message from the sister. Yeah. I didn't know that's her at be all. A, she was just he's just letting me know. Yeah. Wow. That's gotta be that's gotta be very shocking to pick up a phone and read something like that. Yeah, I had sent his kids pictures of me pitching, autographed pictures and a couple of baseballs. And I yeah. kept te texting and calling and I didn't get an answer. And I'm like, but he asked for this and I wanted to send it to him and then nothing. And so this person, that's what we don't know. We don't know who's going to be well and who's going to be move, move on and who's going to slip. And so we've yeah. got a whole other accountable and lift each other up yeah you know and, and a little bit more about the the drinking and the medication you are on what uh what were they prescribing you was it oxy <laughs> oxy how do you say it? oxycodone or something like that oxycodone and then um yeah something like xanax also because of my anxiety which i later learned at the mm. center yeah, you don't mix those, and you definitely don't mix them yeah. with alcohol because that sends you alcohol. On, you can't get out, and that's why yeah. I don't remember anything. Is because I I was a walking blackout is what I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I when I was uh, first diagnosed with lupus, I was in so much pain. I mean, I was just laying on my parents' couch, couldn't even get out of out of up from the couch. My mother had to feed me. I was in really bad shape, and and uh, my doctor prescribed me. I think it was oxycodone as well, and 
I took it once and I felt like I was floating in the air. It was, it was one of the most amazing feelings I've ever had. And I, once I started kind of coming down, I gave the bottle to my mother and I said, throw these away because this feels way too good. I would rather sit here and feel the pain and feel myself recover instead of having this medication that I don't even know what's going on. If I'm getting better or not, just, I don't want to see these pills anymore. So I took it once and that was it. Uh, that, that was, uh, I still remember that feeling. Yeah. My wife can't take them either. Yeah. She had neck surgery a few years ago. And she suffered for four or five months with just horrible pain, but she wouldn't take the painkiller. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, so I, I could, uh, I could really understand how people, uh, can get addicted to that stuff. And, you know, like, especially when you mix alcohol or you combine it with other medications that you're not supposed to, that stuff can be really, really addicting. And I know myself, I have an addictive personality. Like when I play golf, when I was playing golf, I was playing all the time. When I go to the gym, I'm at the gym all the time. So yeah. I said, no, nah, this is this is not for me. It's amazing, isn't it? When you have that type of personality. And yeah. My wife will look at me and my kids are like, why do you work out all the time? I said, because <laughs> I like to keep busy now because three years ago I couldn't walk and my mom bought me a cane and I was dragging my leg around and now I can run. I said, I'm not going to stop. Yeah. I'm going to stop when God wants me to stop. We know the beginning. And we know the end, and he's with us the whole journey, but it's our journey because we have free will. And it's up to us on what we're going to yeah. do. Yes, yes, 100%. 100%. We're, you know, we're presented with, with options and choices, and a lot of times we know what's right, and a lot of times we convince ourselves that this is right, even though deep down inside we know that that's not what we should be doing. And uh, wh when we make that choice and things don't turn out right, then we want to blame somebody instead of blaming ourselves. Yeah, here, here's the deal. And I've known this for a long time, but now I pay attention. Mm. When that inner voice is talking to you, and I've had kids ask me that, we have that voice saying, don't do this. And then we go do it and we get in trouble. What is that voice? Mm. And I said, have you ever heard of the Holy Spirit? And they're like, well, yeah. I said, that voice inside of you is steering you in the right direction. It's your choice on whether you want to listen to it or not. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, I've had so many times in my life where I can feel that what I'm doing is wrong. I can feel that the choices I'm making, I shouldn't make them, even though it feels good in that moment. But deep down inside you know, I know that what I'm doing is not what I'm supposed to. And you just keep doing it. And you just keep doing it until something major happens. You know, f for me, it took it took almost losing my life three different times to lupus to really kick me into gear to, to, to trying my hardest not to lose track of doing what I'm supposed to do. Each time I'd get better, after I was good, back in the gym, fit, I'd start going to nightclubs again. I'd start, you know, doing all the stuff I was doing before. Here's the deal, Honor, and I want people who listen to you to understand this. Everybody's a sinner. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you murder somebody, you run around on your wife, you go to the bar when you should be watching your kids, you say something you shouldn't say. We're all sinners, and God looks at every sin the same. 
Yeah. We are a fallen people because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. And that has mm-hmm. made us have free will, but it's also made us prone to making very, very bad decisions. And we need to start listening to that inner voice going, Mm-mm, you don't mm-hmm. need to do that. Yeah. And I think we'll all be better off because I do the same thing. You shouldn't yeah. do that extra mile. You shouldn't eat that extra piece of banana bread. You had gastric bypass. You're not supposed to drink sodas. What do you do? I love Dr. Peppers. I'm drinking Dr. Pepper. The doctor goes, <laughs> you can't process Dr. Pepper. And I said, watch me. And life's yeah. a battle, man. Yeah. It is. It is. It's a constant battle. And uh, you've probably felt the same thing, that when you're on the right track, it's like you're battling even more and more. When you're doing what you're not supposed to, seems to kind of things run smooth but as soon as you want to make that turn and and start doing the right thing that's when things really get tough and that's where our faith is really tested that's where the attacks come in yes when you're doing the right thing and you're trying to bring in people that's when you're going to get attacked yep. that's when things are going to get tough yep. that's when you need to push through because the liar is going to try to convince you to turn back and go yes. the other way and that's yeah. not what we want yeah yeah when you're out there doing what you're not supposed to there's no reason for for any attacks to come and try to get you you're already there they already have you but that's like right. you said they as soon as you start you. doing the right thing that's yep yep what what would you say is the biggest test of faith that you've had so far i could say rehab that's an easy answer yeah um i never missed a speech because i was drunk or because i had too mm-hmm. many pills I, I showed up to every event. It was the in-between times that got me in trouble. Um, the hardest thing for me, honestly, was putting on paper chapter 10. Mm-hmm. And then putting putting the feather on the front cover, which people will understand when they get to chapter 10 what that feather is about. That was tough because the, I'm a motivational yeah. speaker. And businesses don't want people who talk about their faith to show up and go, we're going to talk about faith. And that's not yeah. what I've ever done. That's not what I'm going to do now. But that is a part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And if people ask yeah. me, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I remember reading that part. And, you know, that's, that's something I've dealt with as well. Is, you know, I own, I own an apparel company. And all of my logos have a, a small cross on them to represent my faith in Jesus. And... I donate to like lupus and a lot of other stuff through my apparel company. And I've talked to a lot of big companies that wanted to do some type of collaboration, but they've said, well, we love your logo. We love what you stand for, but you got to take that cross off. I said, all right, see you later. Can't, can't do that. I'd rather sell one t-shirt with the cross than than thousands of them without a cross on it. So, um, and sometimes you start thinking, you know, I, I went through, I remember sitting on the train here in Japan trying to convince myself that that removing the cross from my logo wasn't that big of a deal and I could reach more people after and everything. And, and I just, at the end, I was just, I didn't feel good about it. And uh, so I talked to my wife and we said, you know what, let's just forget about this and, and turn down any type of, of collaboration. Sometimes reaching one person at a time is exactly what God wants us to do. And he puts us in the place to do yeah. that. I wouldn't take that cross off your shirt. If you know what you're doing and you have that faith, you stick with it and you don't look back and you don't look around and you go, this is who I am. This is yeah. my identity. I'm not taking it off. Yep. Yep. 
Because now yeah, I in the end, that's what we decided. <laughs> yeah, now, I, now I got to order well, one and wear it around San Antonio, Texas. It was it was kind of breaking up. It sounded like you said you ought to go. You have to order a hundred. Oh, okay. I'll I'll put you down for a hundred. Don't worry. <laughs> That's awesome, man. We must have a satellite that's a scaven a storm or something. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I can still hear you hear you pretty well, but it is freezing up. Um, what What's your favorite Bible scripture? I know Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 11.1. There you go. Nice. It's not by sight. It's by faith, man. Yeah. You got to step out in faith. If you could see everything that was going to happen and God told you everything that yeah. was going to happen, why would we keep going? We would just go, it's going to be ours. He wants us to work towards that yeah. goal. And he wants us to win as many people over as we can. And so you'll never pitch again. Oh, yeah, I'll throw harder. You're never going to walk again. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get better. Oh, you've got Parkinson's. You're just going to get sicker and sicker. Oh, you don't have Parkinson's. How is that possible? It never happens. <laughs> God can do anything. Yeah. People can do one or two things at a time. But nothing has ever occurred to God. He knows all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially times like this, I think uh, there's a lot of people that are searching for messages like this and they're not going to necessarily find it on social media. They're not going to find it in the news. Um, and uh, th there's a lot of people that have reached out to me after a podcast and uh, they'll say, hey, I heard you and your guests talking about faith. And that really hit me. And I just want to let you know that I'm starting to get back into reading my Bible or or trusting more uh, in in when I hear, you know, for, like God speaking to me and really focusing and listening to that. So um, times like this, people people are really out there ser searching for something and it's easy to find the wrong message. It's easy to fall into that. Well, you got a lot of people going, why did God do this? Yeah. God didn't use do this. But God will take it yeah. and he will make something good out of it. Yep. Especially if we allow it to, it will, it will turn into a positive. Of course, you know, a lot of bad things have happened. Um, but there's always, there's always something that we can, we can look at and find a, find a positive. Like for me, I was pretty much addicted to the gym, you know, and I thought, oh, that's a good thing to be addicted to. I'm staying healthy. But these these two months, I haven't been to the gym once because it's been closed and I really haven't been working out at home. And before, if I didn't go to the gym like two or three days, I, I was I was just, you know, I, I couldn't sit still. I was starting to get cranky at home. So I would tell my wife, hey, I'm going to go to the gym because I'm not feeling very well. But these last two months, I've really had to look at myself and say, was I going to the gym because I wanted to be healthy or was I just trying to get? And you found out you could work out at home. Yeah, <laughs> man, I cannot work out at home. I tried that, but it it uh, it was not for me. You know what? I I listened to a guy here. He's in North Carolina, Stephen Furtick. Yeah. And the other day he had this message. He's like, "What? You can't do push-ups at home? You can't do leg lifts? <laughs> you can't run? You can't walk? You can't jump rope?" <sighs> and my answer would be no. <laughs> I, I could, I just, uh, you know, I told my wife, I'm going to let my body recover. 
you know, I was dealing with so much shoulder pain and back pain and knee knee problems and stuff with with you know with all the chronic illness and uh, yeah. things like that. And I would go for a run here and there, and I, I went to the park and did a couple pull ups, and I tried working out at home. But it just I told my wife, I'm going to let my body recover. You know, I want to I want to feel myself getting better and be able to look at myself and when I'm feeling cranky, be able to do something about it besides going to the gym. So it's, it's been a, a blessing for me, but I'm, I'm excited. Mon, uh, Monday gyms open back up here. So I'm ready for stuff to open, man. God's in control. And yeah. we can't admit that something bigger than us is at work in this world. And it is. Yeah. 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 You know, but it looks like everything's going to start opening back up everywhere. So hopefully uh, everything runs runs smooth from there. And I wanted to ask, Ride to Restoration, talk to me about yeah. that. One day in church in 2015, I got this vision and it was telling me, you need to start this foundation. We're going to go fix mm. this. We're going to go fix that. We're going to ride our bike across America. We're going to take our book with us that I hadn't finished because I didn't have an ending. Yeah. And I look back at that. And that is another thing I thought about today, Honor, as I was running and thinking and listening to my music. Ride to Restoration. I, I took it as meaning go out and fix people. And then I looked at myself in the mirror and I went. Sorry, you, you kind I, of froze on me after you said ride to restoration. Ride to restoration. I thought, I'm going to go out and I'm going to fix people. But today it finally hit me and I guess God clicked the right button and I went, this was my ride to get well. This was my restoration. This was me getting better. And so ride to restoration, what I thought it meant was something totally different than what God was telling, trying to tell me. And I thought I was supposed to go out and do stuff for other people, but I was still too sick and too much in the middle of things at that time. It was to fix me and get me back on track. So now I could finish the book and now I can go out and I can help people. And now I can show them you can have a chronic illness and you can get better. Is it going to work for everybody? Honestly, I have no idea, and I doubt it. But you know what? It worked for me. And it's my yeah. story, and it's my faith. And I don't push my faith on anybody, but I don't shy away from it either. So Ride yeah. to Restoration meant one thing in my mind, but to God it meant something totally different. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I, was, I was excited when I was reading about that. That sounds like something that's going to be amazing. And... Uh, what uh, it, it was kind of breaking out, so I couldn't hear everything you were saying about it. But is that still something you're planning on doing in, in a bike ride, or is it something different now? I think it's different because I think God meant you're going to be restored. I was mm, taking it as okay. I need to go out and do this for people, and He goes, You need to restore yourself first. Yeah, and yeah. So so now I can go out and help people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's interesting how when we have a vision for one thing, quickly it can be shifted to something else. And uh, it, it usually turns out to be something a lot better. Yeah. God, yeah. God has a lot better imagination than I have. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. So what what's next for you? What's the next chapter of your life? What do you have left to do? I don't know. God's going to show me the way. For, for a few years now, Sean and I have talked about we need to start doing things virtually. We need to have virtual meetings. That way we don't have to go mm. through airports as much and we don't have to travel as much. And we can do meetings here and go into our room and work out and do whatever we want. And then Corona hit. Then we were forced into that world. And mm. at 56, doing stuff with social media was a challenge for me because when I talk to audiences, I feed off the energy that they give me yeah. back when I'm talking to them. This is something totally different, and I've just got to motor through. But now we've done nine or ten virtual meetings. We've done a whole lot of Zoom calls and podcasts. I'm getting used to it. It's fun. I can have a nice shirt on and a jacket, and I can have shorts on if I want to, and nobody knows. I got sweats on underneath. <laughs> yep. There you go. And it's God showing us what can be. He's going to take lemons and make lemonade out of something that everybody else is going, this is the end. He goes, no, this is just the beginning. It's just something different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we just have to be open to it. You know, everything yeah. is, it depends how you look at it. For some people, yeah, it is the end because they don't want to push past it. They're, they're like, Hey, nothing I can do. All right. It's the end. Um, but, but if you, if you keep pushing and keep looking for different ways to, 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 you know, do something new, something different, there's, there's no end to what we're able to do. Exactly. And here's where it starts. And I wanted to say this and I want to say it to everybody I talk to. We've got to stop judging what other people are doing and take care of ourselves. Because until we get ourselves straight, we can't look at somebody else and go, you need to do this or you need to do that when we should have a mirror in front of our face talking to ourselves. And so the judgment yeah. needs to stop and we need to be nice. My grandfather had this saying, I love it. Treat other people like you would have your grandmother treated. Yeah. I remember reading that's that. That's so simple, but it's true. And so often we get our egos in the way and we want, we want to go to battle over something that is so small, it's ridiculous. Instead of just smiling and acknowledging it and going, you know what, maybe that is something I need to work on. Yeah. Because everybody, everybody's fallen, not one, not two, everybody. Only one perfect person has ever walked this planet, and it ain't you, and it ain't me. No, no. Yeah, that's true. We, we need to focus on what we need to do before we try to improve others or tell others what to do. We got to focus on ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, it seems to be that the, uh, the storm might be getting worse or something because the, uh, the video and audio is, is uh, chopping up a little bit more. So that might be our cue to, uh, to wrap this up. But I want uh, We to can ask... wrap it up for now if you want. Or okay. you can talk to Lori and we can redo some of the stuff you want to do because I don't know how much stuff cut out. I know you froze a lot. And okay. I want this to be good. I want this to be good for you. Well, yeah. And yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, sir. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me, I'll take a look at all the uh, video and audio today. And if the audio is, is still good and the video is not as good, 
I might just release it in the audio, but I would like to release it with with uh, full audio and video. But I'll take a look at everything and then I'll get back to you and see if there's anything we we might need to to redo when there's no storm going on. Sure. What is the last question yeah. you wanted to ask me? The last one is you talked about a delicious pea salad that your grandfather used to make, right? <laughs> so my grandfather made this pea salad for every holiday, and I'm gonna be honest with you. I will send you the recipe. It takes about two hours to make. It has got yes, so many ingredients in it. it. <laughs> that was my last question. You if you're done, able to it has that. more stuff in it than peas, but it is delicious. <laughs> and even my daughter, who hates peas, loves this pea salad. Yes. All right. Perfect. We ended on a good note. Can't wait to awesome. get that recipe. If you need anything right, else, sir. let me know and we can fix whatever it is we need to fix and you can put it out there because I want this to okay. help you keep the cross on your yes. clothes. And Always, always. Uh, awesome. Keep, keep, I love what you stand for. Faith, those messages. Yeah, likewise, sir. After I watched your movie, after I read your book, I was like, man, it's going to be an honor. To, I was, I was, uh, my wife was like, why are you so nervous? I was like, I'm just so excited to have him on. Uh, you know, after watching the movie and, and everything in your book, how you share everything so openly, that was just amazing. So it really means a lot to me to have you on and I appreciate your time. And uh, I'm going to get this out there to as many people as I can. Absolutely. And I'm going to get you a copy, a signed copy of the book when we get them. I'll, I'll autograph one yeah. for you. That would be great. That would be great. I really appreciate that. And I'll uh, I'll probably uh, purchase a few and do some giveaways on my on my Instagram and my Facebook, uh, you know, for my followers to to get some books out there for them as well. Awesome. I appreciate that. No problem. Thank you very much. God bless. Yes, sir. Stay safe. God bless. I'm sure we'll talk again. All right. Absolutely. Have a blessed day, man. You too. Bye. Bye bye.